Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Actually, they grow by in-person recommendations, but do that too. If you haven't already given us a five-star review, please pause this right now and go and give us a five-star rating and review, unless you're driving, and then wait. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay, and join our Facebook discussion group, which I'm increasingly given to understand is Alcatraz, virtually impenetrable. So you may have to message Christopher and I to, uh, to join that. I'm or you can, or you you can actually message the Facebook group. Yes, it's kind of widely available in the, and we see that. So, yeah, I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you this fine afternoon? I'm doing all right. It's a it's a cold, rainy afternoon here in South Dakota. Sounds Kirk, like the, Kirk. The weather has turned, and and yeah. I, I understand. But for years, I listened to a podcast where the banter at the beginning consisted mostly of the weather. And one of the, uh, the hosts is from Minneapolis. And, and like, so they would talk about how cold it is in Minneapolis. And, uh, and wait, we was, the other, was the other host in the, the California Bay Area where it was always like yeah, well, yeah, and beautiful? Bay, yeah, Bay Area. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. You know the podcast I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to be that podcast, but I mean, the changing of seasons is something to mark. And uh, it's, it's just interesting in, in kind of the upper Midwest, how that happens, how we can go from, we talked about the early fall, how, how the mornings are freezing and then the afternoons are, are, are roiling hot, is roiling yeah. word, are very, are very hot. Uh, but then we can have these extended falls where it's warm for, you know, into November. Uh, but we have had, uh, it's, the weather has changed and there's no evidence that, that it's going <laughs> to let up. It got cold. Three things. Number one, I believe roiling implies turbulence. So unless okay. the heat was like spinning around you, it might not be. Uh, I find heat to be pretty turbulent. <laughs> uh, thing number two, um, this is what I tell people in Pennsylvania um, when they ask me, when conversation comes up about like autumn, like what's, what's it going, what's weather like with your father or your brother or your family back in Minnesota. And I always say when it pivots, it pivots and it pivots hard and it's done. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like you're experiencing that. Um, and, and the third thing is we're in a different weather pattern here in Pittsburgh because we're in the Ohio river Valley, which I think is its own kind of moderating system where we just kind of have this perpetual tropical depression, not tropical depression, like <laughs> mid, mid Atlantic, mid latitudinal, uh, depression. And that's kind of where we are right now. It's been, uh, it had been nice uh, and blue skies for a long time uh, through August and September, but now we've got kind of humid and rain. And, and today it's oddly 80. The band of rain is above us in like Erie and Buffalo and Rochester and Cleveland and Milwaukee and Toledo. Um, but, but it, it'll, re it'll return. We'll have fifties and, ra and rain um, soon. I'm taking my vitamin D vitamins now, preparing right. for Pittsburgh uh, winter vitamin D deficiency. So um, uh, we have a slower pivot, more moderate pivot. Another mark of Pittsburgh fall is, um, do you remember this, Christopher? Um, fog, impenetrable fog from 6 5.30 a.m. Hmm. to 9 a.m. Like a full four hours of fog that it just ta it takes that long to burn off particularly in the river valleys. And I am, okay. I'm like, you know, I'm in the Ohio river Valley. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I, I cross, 
I crossed the Beaver River and the Ohio River on my way to work. And, and I crossed the Ohio River twice a day. So sometimes three times a day. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I don't. I are. don't remember that. I remember a lot of drizzle in the fall. And yep. Yep. we are officially a weather podcast now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Let's, let's pivot hard, like the weather, to more interesting topics. Christopher, you do such a great job sending me Minnesota swag. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Great- I don't. I don't know why that's become my thing, but it's become my thing. Like seasonally to be like, okay, the, the marking of the, the calendar <laughs> to baseball season, I like is, <laughs> is a shirt arrives in your mailbox, a Minnesota Twins shirt. It's, oh my gosh, basketball I'm season, so grateful. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have my dresser in front of me right now. How about some sound effects? Should we have some sound effects? I think it's well, time for sound effects. I don't effects. know if it's a sound effect so much as just a sound. Yes, well, here's, here's just a sound. Did you hear that? That's the opening of your dresser. Yeah. The opening of my dresser drawer. And as I'm peering down, um, I could, I, it would take me two hands to count the number of uh, shirts that you have sent me over the course of uh, the years that are Minnesota, uh, Minnesota shirts. And so... Minnesota sports. So like, yes. you know, Gophers, uh, Twins, yeah. uh, Vikings. Yeah. So what did you do this past uh, September? Well, it was. I realized it was. It was football season, and and so I shipped you. Uh, well, I shipped Dad some Viking socks. Uh, I know that he likes <laughs> nice socks, and I shipped you uh, a, a nice uh, Vikings uh, baseball shirt, basically like a raglan with kind of half half sleeve. Uh, really cool. And three weeks later, it still didn't arrive, and I pulled up the FedEx tracking, and uh, <laughs> and it was just. It was like attempted delivery on, I don't know, like September 10th or something like that. And I asked you, I said, hey, did you get like a note at the door? Because <laughs> I've had issues with FedEx in the past. Uh, I, I remember way back when, I, I remember multiple times, I remember back living in Pittsburgh, uh, having to schedule because they would put it on the truck, but they wouldn't deliver it to me because... Uh, our apartment didn't have a buzzer and they wouldn't call me on my cell phone. And, um, and so I had to like tell them, don't put it on the truck, leave it at the center. And I had to drive like a half an hour to go to, to this parcel delivery services center to pick up a parcel of, of was that, was that the one on the North side or in moon township? I think it was in Cranberry. I think oh, it was that one. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I remember even here in Sioux Falls, uh, having to deal with FedEx where they wouldn't leave something at my door. I had to be home. I'm like, really? Like you're telling me, you know, these all of all the people that don't work from home, uh, <laughs> That you will not deliver something during business hours that they have to actually go to your facility, uh, communicate to you to, to not put it on the truck, and then uh, go pick it up from your facility at a time that's, that when they're not working, which is hard to schedule. So anyway, uh, FedEx is terrible, and and you, <laughs> your particular driver, a f- is, future endorser of uh, the podcast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Any chance we can get them to to, to be our first ad? So FedEx. I ask you guys and you're like, Oh, our driver's terrible. Um, apparently you made her cry, Kirk. Is that a thing, <laughs> is that, a thing that happened? Yeah. Let's not tell that story that we, okay. we can tell that story another time. Okay. Yes. All right. The, the time that Kirk made is his FedEx driver, but I guess you have a neighbor who's a FedEx driver. Who's like, yes. yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> but anyway, uh, fine. Like I contacted fanatics.com and, and thankfully their customer service is great. Uh, please, uh, Fanatics, if you're listening, uh, we, we would totally say this, even if, uh, especially if you paid us, um, <laughs> they, they just replaced the shipment. They're like, oh, okay, we consider this lost. And so you finally got your shirt. And then what, 10 days later, the original shirt came. Well, it's even more interesting than that. I get a phone call. My wife got a phone call. I list, she's like, Hey, you got a phone, a voicemail from FedEx delivery center in Zelenopol. So I, I, I listen to the message. I'm like, ooh, I call back. And uh, I'm, I'm, you ready for voices? This is a, a trope on the podcast, huh? Haberman voices. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, this is Sean. I just saw this uh, box laying around the warehouse. Uh, and it says it was undeliverable, but I'm looking at your address and it looks like uh, we routinely schedule uh, deliveries in your area. So I'm just wondering, uh, what's the deal? 
and uh, if uh, we could deliver this package. So, so I call back and, and uh, I, end up, I end up being able to talk to the guy and it's so interesting. So everyone I, knows that your driver's worthless. They're like, oh, her. I, okay. well, I think the way he, the way he described it, they go through, they go through drivers. I like oh, McDonald's goes through. Interesting. Like, the, the, yeah. Like, can I take your order, please? Like, yeah, it's just tough to keep them. Hmm. Um, and uh, which, which is odd to me because I, I, I gather you can make a lot of money. Um, so I, I don't know if it's just like struggling to show up on time or passing a drug test or what the story is, but um, in, in any, in any case, um, he said, I don't trust my drivers as far as I can throw them. So I gather Why? there's a great rift between management <laughs> and the drivers. That's crazy. And, and he's like, he pulled up, he pulled up uh, my address on the map and he's like, I can't believe that she didn't try to deliver this. It said road closed. Why, why was this road closed? You live in city blocks. And I'm like, I, yes, you're right, I do. Um, I, I said they were uh, doing, um, they closed my road for like five days during um, work hours, uh, nine to five, um, in the middle of September to uh, replace um, uh, some sewage in, in my area. And that was it. And he just sighed and he's like- Well, I'm sure they're replacing the sewer pipe, not the sewage, but- Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I get yes. your meeting. I had a moment of aphasia. And he said, you'll get it tomorrow. And I got it tomorrow. <laughs> and and on, on the package, it said, road closed, undeliverable. So another, another day, we can tell the story of, of the time when I saw the lady at the top of the hill, 50 feet from my driveway, not give up on delivering my package and chased her down and made her cry. So... Not like for, for a Christian podcast, this will be like a good way for me to eat humble pie and to realize that <laughs> I'm f like, like Bruce Banner. The secret is I'm always angry. So. <laughs> and on that note, shall we turn to the gospel? Let's do that. Today's gospel comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Now, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then uh, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we have been working our way through the book of Matthew, I've tried to give us a sense of the context and, and where and when we have kind of contiguous passages and when we have a little bit of a break. And in this case, we, we jump forward just a few verses. We, we jump past the, the story where, uh, you know, so Jesus is in the temple. Last week, we talked about how the question was posed to him where the Herodians and the Pharisees came together and asked him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, apparently this was a thing that was happening is that, is that groups were trying to test him. Uh, I'm trying to remember the word that that, uh, that 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 was used. Was it entangle? Trying to entangle him last week, and then uh, right after that, we see Sadducees come to him and ask him a question about the resurrection, and it, it was a really hypocritical question because uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but they're saying, uh, "Jesus, uh, you know, you're this great teacher." Uh, 
about the resurrection, let's say a man, uh, you know, you know how it's, you know, a, a man is supposed, if, if uh, a woman, if, if a woman is widowed, um, the younger brother is supposed to marry her. What if each of these brothers dies in sequence, none of them having children? In the resurrection, which one, uh, which couple is actually married? And what Jesus does is, is he shows his great wisdom. Uh, first of all, in, in kind of the, the Sadducees had a very narrow view of what constituted scripture. They only believed that the first five books of the Bible uh, was scripture. And so we, we can call that the Pentateuch, or we can talk, call it the Torah, or the books of Moses. Uh, but uh, that, they had a very limited view of scripture. So Jesus didn't use uh, scripture from the writings or from the prophets or from the Psalms. Uh, he used the Pentateuch itself, one of the first uh, five, and he used the first five books of the Bible to kind of show them that, that God is bigger than, um, than their conception of God. And uh, it doesn't say that he, si that he convinced them, but it says that they were silenced, um, that they were just awed by his, by his wisdom and brilliance and by showing, um, again, not that they were convinced, but that-, that uh, It that says they were astonished, mm. <laughs> astonished yeah. at his teaching. Yeah, yeah. And so they went in confident in their view that there was no resurrection. And, and Jesus really ably showed them that even with their limited view of what scripture is, um, that God is much bigger than they thought. So, like I said, they're kind of taking turns, Pharisees and the, and the Herodians and then the Sadducees. Well, here we go to the Pharisees again in today's reading. Uh, it says, one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. What's the greatest commandment in the law? So, really quickly, what does it mean? What is the law? Ancient tradition taught that the law contains not just two commandments, which Jesus gives here, and not, and not 10 either. You know, we think of the Decalogue or the 10 commandments, but ancient teaching said that there were 613. 613, yeah. <laughs> 613 separate commandments. And uh, some even further broke down these 613 commandments into 365 prohibitions, one for each day of the year, of, of the year you know, <laughs> uh, don't do this, don't do this for each day of the year. And then 268 positive commands, one for each bone of the body. Whoa, interesting. And of, and of course, we know that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And as, as we see it, uh, you know, it was John Calvin that, that broke the law down into kind of three separate areas. The the moral law, which is forever, like God, the moral law is the heart of who God is um, in his character of, of justice, of mercy, of righteousness, that, that's eternal. But then we also had the civil law and the ceremonial law that, that um, these, the civil law was, was kind of these regulations about the, the nation of Israel, how Israel was to be a light to the nations. And all of that was fulfilled in Jesus. And that, that kind of is no more. And then, and then the ceremonial law, again, um, Jesus is our sacrifice. You know, we don't have sacrifices anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. And, you know, these purity laws that we saw involved with the civil and the ceremonial, um, that those were kind of fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. But the moral law remains. Anyway, uh, this is a really helpful thing for, for us as Christians, but um, also for observant Jews to say of these, of these things of, of these 613 commandments, which, which are the greatest. And so Jesus doesn't diminish any of them, but summarizes them. And it does this thing that's really useful for us today. He says, love God. So this comes from Deuteronomy uh, 6.5. That's the very first part of the Shema, uh, mm -hmm. S-H-E-M-A. Uh, and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is Leviticus 19, 18. So the heart of the law, all of it is summed up in loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. And, and to love the Lord, your God, is, is to love everything that, his, that he is. It's his character, his love for people, his love for justice and righteousness. And out of that love for God depend, comes this overwhelming love for your neighbor. Like knowing the heart of God uh, is, is a love for your neighbor. Many of these scribes and Pharisees wanted something simpler. Like, actually having 613 separate commandments is, is a lot easier because it's easier to check those things off. A set of rules, 
is easier than what Jesus is saying here. Because it's in fact quite hard to love God fully and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because to love God totally means to embrace his love of people. And Kirk, you and I know this. People are really hard to love. (laughs) Did you and I, hypothetically speaking, perhaps have a conversation about this last night? No, I was opining on this not. last night. I was opining okay. that's this last night to you. I mean, the reality is we do not love God with all our being. And we don't love our neighbors like we love ourselves. And uh, it's interesting, these experts on the law, strong on ethics, but weak on relationships. This, this would have been a really hard word for them. And so in light of this, I want to read a bit of a lengthy quote from the, uh, pre, uh, the late priest and theologian and writer, uh, Robert Ferrar Capon. Ooh, good. Christians who talk a lot about grace are thought to have a low view of God's law. Correspondingly, those with a high view of the law are thought to be legalists. But the late Presbyterian theologian J. Gresham Machen says this gets the matter backwards. And then this is a quote from Machen. A low view of the law always produces legalism. A high view of the law makes a person a seeker after grace. Hmm. End quote from Machen. Continue with Capon. This is because a low view of the law encourages us to conclude that we can keep it. The bar is low enough for us to jump over. A low view of the law makes us think that its standards are attainable, its goals reachable, its demands doable. A high view of the law, however, demolishes all such confidence. It leaves us no room for supposing that God supplies helpful tips for practical living. We will always be suspicious of unconditional grace as long as we think that our own moral efforts are sufficient. Only an inflexible picture of what God demands reveals the depth of our ongoing need for the gospel. Oh my, amen. And Capon just hits the nail on the head right here in, in what it is that, that the scripture is communicating to us. We see this especially in Romans, is that the law is, is something that ought to send us to repentance to send us to our knees. And, and that's part of our daily, as, as we looked at uh, the, the daily office of morning and evening prayer, it, it, is, it is not beating ourselves up, but it is a daily liturgy of confession and absolution, of knowing that we don't live up, and yet we are considered heirs, sons and heirs, um, sons and daughters and heirs. And, and we could explore what it means to be a son, uh, but I'll use inclusive language uh, for now. I think that's uh, important to convey that while also keeping the idea of, of sonship. Um, there's a reason that the Bible says sons. Um, if, and, and, and this is something that I think is important for us to realize is that God isn't asking for something little here. It's that God is asking for something big. Uh, and, and it's something that ought to continue to stretch us. As, as we examine our lives and in our weekly liturgy, Kirk, at the very beginning. So we, we open, uh, blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. And then we say the college for purity, beautiful words. Uh, and then uh, what's next, Kirk? The summary of the law. The summary of the law. These, the, these exact verses. Yep. Love God, love your neighbor. Um, followed by the Kyrie. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Uh, we're, pre- we're presented with this, cha- this daily reminder of what it is that is uh, expected of us. That's, that's... Well, and liturgically, that functions as a miniature. Um, later on, we get the full, but a miniature mm-hmm. exhortation to confession and then confession, right? Mm-hmm. We have the law presented to us, and we realize we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we yeah. have not and loved the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and uh, heart and strength and mind. And, um, and then we say, Lord, have mercy upon us after that. Yes. In the Kyrie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I want to say this. If there is real love for God, there will be love for neighbors. And what, what, um, what concerns me is, is Christians 
who, gosh, we, we see this all the time, unfortunately, uh, Christians who diminish uh, other people who are made in the image of God. Um, whether it's, it's uh, you know, I see it most often in politics um, of, of the demeaning, the diminishment of the humanity of people who we disagree with. Uh, I see it on, on social media. I, I, I see Christians all the time um, not loving their neighbor as themselves. And of course, neighbor doesn't mean those who are uh, living right next to us. Uh, Jesus expands this definition of neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan, something that we'll explore at a separate time. Um, so, so anyway, uh, my, my issue to, to you, the listener, uh, what I want to challenge you to today is, is um, to love God fully and to understand how that connects to loving your neighbor as yourself and, and to see when, to have your eyes open to when you're not loving your neighbor as yourself because acknowledging that this is a very difficult thing. Well, Kirk, we also have another uh, portion. Should, should I pause yeah. here so, so that you can kind of comment on that first part? Because they're, they're quite different. Yeah, um, I agree with all that you said. Um, there are, that, that brief passage um, contains multitudes. And so I'd just like to hold that diamond up to the light and look at another facet, an- another angle of it, just for a moment, um, which is um, Jesus gets to the heart of um, the, the, the point the intent of God's revealed law to the Hebrews in the first place, um, which is God is love, his moral character, his eternal moral character is love. And the point of the law was only ever um, to draw his people into greater love with each other and with him. Uh, And uh, when in our uh, desire to um, follow God's law, we lose sight of that point, we've lost the point. Um, I think that's, that's just a very uh, meta observation, as they say, the, the hackneyed cliche now, a 10,000 foot observation. But, it, but I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at. Um, we read in 1 John, um, John who, who, who loves to talk in kind of hippie, like a hippie Orthodox priest with long beard and long hair, likes to talk about love a lot. He, John just basically says, God is love. <laughs> Walk in love as God, God loved us. Um, which is which is really hearkening, hearkening back to this. Um, I love the connection to the Shema. Um, I love the Shema. Um, uh, the Shema has. Uh, once I became a father and had children, mm. uh, the Shema the Shema really resonates kind of in my chest and in my heart. Um, it's beautiful. I, it gives me chills often when I hear it read. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Mm. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I don't think we often think of um, Leviticus that way. It's something lovely to like, uh, in a fatherly way, teach our or children. De- or Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, de- yeah, yeah. That, Deuteronomy that we, 6, yeah. That as, as a family, we get together and we, um, with, a, with a satisfied smile, knowing that God loves us and we love God and out of gratitude, this is how we live out. Um, I think... That's, I don't. I don't know. I know that's not how I ever read De- Deuteronomy, um, and I think probably that's um, when God's law, if we allow it to create grooves in our soul, um, then that, that our posture towards it can change, in terms of um, changing from something where where we where we we fall into a pattern of striving and failure and striving and failure and striving and failure, um, rather as um, of being called into loving relationship. Um, and that's, that's the difference, of course, between uh, legalism and grace. Uh, Christopher, do you remember when we, um, when we marked uh, the life of uh, Pusey, um, how he, uh, it, we commented that uh, it was often noted that he talked less of piety and following God's law um, in terms less of obedience and more of, of curling up into the, um, the arms of, of his father. Mm. And um, 
And so I think that's kind of what we see here a little bit. Um, once we're called into a life of love, um, we're, we, we, we're, we're called out of beyond the pattern of striving and failure, striving and failure. Um, so I, I don't know. That's maybe holding this up to a, a different light. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's good. But yeah. but Jesus pivots. He's got the scribes and the Pharisees there, Christopher. And he yeah, takes it's, it's, that it's, opportunity to say something else. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So he's been kind of put on trial here, you know, with these series of questions, right? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, uh, resurrection, how about that? <laughs> what is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus kind of turns and then he asks them a question. The, and it's interesting that, that, that um, again, I think mic drop is, is inappropriate here where uh, at, at verse 46, this isn't Jesus' a mic drop. This is everyone just being so awed and stunned and marveling. It says, and no one was able to answer him a word, right. nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him. Like no one was coming back to him, trying to ensnare him, trying to um, entrap him, trying to... Uh, entangle him no one tried this again they're like this is not someone we want to tangle with and and so the the, the question that jesus asks is uh, what do you think about the christ whose son is he and and so they they give him the answer that's kind of obvious i mean they the reality is they kind of know their bibles it's just they miss but certain crucial parts of it that jesus try is trying to put together for them and they say the son of david so yeah of course this is the christ is the son of david so Jesus is like, okay, well, we all know our Bibles here. Let's look at Psalm 110. How is it that David then, in the spirit, saying that, that, that David was, was, like, this was God-breathed, that, like, he was saying something true here when he said that, uh, the, why is he calling the son of David his Lord? How does this make sense? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So this is, uh, I don't know if, if you know this or if, if others do, that uh, this is the most quoted passage. So there's a lot of New Testament quotes of the Old Testament, but this is the Old Testament passage that is quoted the most in the New Testament. And, uh, and so three times it. in Hebrews alone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. In, in Acts, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. Uh, uh, and Jesus is saying the Messiah, the, the Christ is much more than David's descendant. He's not just David on steroids. He's not just a David who's going to be an insurrectionist and kick out the Romans and make Israel great again to establish this kingdom. Um, that in fact, he's going to be something greater because David says to the son of David, my Lord, how is, how is David possibly calling his son, his Lord? Uh, and it's because the, 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 it's because the son of David is the second person of the Trinity. And, and this is, uh, quite a teaching that, that Jesus gives here. Uh, and, uh, I don't have any further comment other than, um, uh, him pointing out from scripture that, uh, th that these religious leaders should have recognized him uh, as the Christ. Yeah. So um, in, in Hebrew, what's, what's unclear in English is um, the, the duplicate Lord, which makes this, which has always made this super confusing to me. I'm actually preaching on this on Sunday. Hmm. So this like forced me, I sighed when I saw that this was the, <laughs> the, the passage. I'm like, oh, I've always just kind of, I've, I've, my eyes have glazed over during this because like Lord said to my Lord, who's, who's who? There's so many pronouns here. You <laughs> notice all the pronouns? Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet, right? So mm -hmm. many pronouns. So let me break it down very quickly and very briefly. Yeah. Can, um, can you, can you, can you, um, uh, what's, what's the thing we used to do in English class? Diagram, diagram a <laughs> sentence, please. <laughs> I, will, I, I will try to make it a lot less boring and a lot simpler. Um, in Hebrew, the Hebrew version of the Psalms, which I don't know Hebrew, I'm just, I just read the commentaries. Um, the first Lord is Yahweh. So mm -hmm. in Hebrew, it would have read, Yahweh says to my Lord. Mm -hmm. So then what Jesus is asking is, well, who's the second Lord? Why would David be saying this? What does David mean when he says, God says to my Lord? Uh, <laughs> right, so if then David calls him Lord, 
how his he, that means the second Lord, his son, God's son. How is the second Lord God's son? So does that make sense, Christopher? What he's saying is, if you agree that David was inspired by the Spirit, right, wrote this in the Spirit, and that this is accurate, then what you're saying is the Messiah is deity, is something that some, cre- some, some entity that Yahweh would call my Lord. Right. And so um, at that point, then we're, we're into some creedal theology, right? God of God, very God of very God, go eternal with the Father, right? All these things. Uh, and then suddenly we see that there's rich uh, messianic theology in Psalm 110. And this is why, this is why there's utter silence, because they are trapped, right? Either David was inspired by the Holy Spirit in saying these things, and... <laughs> There is another, like the Messiah is deity, or something's up with this psalm. Very interesting, right? So that's that's in a nutshell, very simply, what's going on. Did that help simplify it at all? Yeah, thank you for doing it. That's I think that's very good, Kirk. Uh, and thank you for this. This is why it's great to have uh, two of our perspectives uh, to help clarify these things. And and so I want to say this, Kirk. There is a particular form of, of literary criticism that is has an axe to grind that is not based in reality or fact or <laughs> uh, like it is. I mean, there's good scholarship and there's bad scholarship, and bad scholarship is is looking uh, is taking a supposition to the texts and working your way and 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 finding and. Uh, finding the texts uh, to say what you want them to say. And, and the bad piece of scholarship is uh, the assertion, uh, the bad form of scholarship is the assertion that Jesus never claimed to be God. And in fact, right. this, this, this happened decades later right. that the church turned him into a God. Right. And um, we can just look at Psalm 110 and see that this is crazy. <laughs> yep. um, that we look at Psalm 110 and we should have expected a Christ who was uh, divine. Yep. And, I mean, Christopher, so, so, it so, happens to us all. We, we, so many times in our life, we don't have eyes to see a thing in front of our nose until later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, and thus it was for God's people. But it's worth saying because there's ba- ba- there are bad scholars who, who get prominent billing on CNN and, and right. other networks and sell books. Uh, I mean, there's a book titled How Jesus Became God. You know, right. and basically saying that, like, yeah, Jesus was just a prophet who later the, the apostle decided to, I, I mean, I don't know what their motivations were for them to turn Jesus into a god. But, I, I, you know, according to this author, he, you know, they did this nefarious thing for, uh, that, that they, they went to their martyrdoms, and we're going to talk about a martyr later today, uh, yep. uh, who died for, for a lie, which is crazy. And, and it's bad scholarship. So That's a good transition. We should uh, go to our theology segment and talk about uh, a great, great man of the church. Shall we do our theology segment? Yes. So it, I am Kirk. I am really grateful for this podcast in uh, just a weekly conversation with you and how we have recently looked at our calendars and noted these things in ways that, uh, you know, we don't pretend to be greater than other Christians. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a shame that our churches no longer have public services on these days. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I hope that our conversation is kind of a spark to say, uh, we want to, 
I mean, I, I don't think in the next five years that, that the church that I serve is going to suddenly um, gather together on the feast day of James of Jerusalem, Bishop of, <laughs> James of Jerusalem, Bishop of Jerusalem, brother of our Lord. I don't know that there's going to be a, a thing, but like even simply the marking of it um, in this podcast has been a great thing for me mm. uh, in, in my devotion in, mm. and not devotion in that like, okay, I've, praying the collect is, is, is somehow making me a better Christian, but like in, in looking at these early figures or not even early, I mean, some of these are 19th century figures. Sure. Um, in, in just remembering, uh, who we are and where we came from. That's, that's a, that's a huge thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's talking about our family history. Um, it, and that we have, uh, diverse listeners from geographically diverse, denominationally diverse people and yet we have this common heritage uh from from the first apostles up until uh the ones that, the generation that came just before us and so it's it's neat to to kind of look at the, the lives and the impacts that 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 some of these people have and certainly james of jerusalem saint james of jerusalem had an impact on us in a bigger way than some of the later ones that that maybe had a, had an impact only on the english-speaking church so uh, on the 23rd of, of October um, is, is the feast day for, Saint, uh, for James of Jerusalem, St. James of Jerusalem, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ and martyr. Um, he was martyred in the year 62. We see him in the Gospels, in, in Matthew and in the Epistle to the Galatians. Um, and he, we see him called the Lord's brother. Um, and he's referred to the brother of the Lord in, in Matthew and, and in Galatians. Uh, other writers like Mark uh, believe him to be a cousin. It's it's really hard to look back at words. We we have a we have a sense of what they mean, and and some sometimes they have the lexical range between brother and relative, um, which is why in, um, Catholic teaching uh, uh, they teach the perpetual virginity of Mary that she never bore children, she never even had sex, right? That she was a perpetual virgin. Um, uh, and and many Protestant thinkers are like, no, okay. I mean, it would be well. This normal. and this was almost kind of universal thinking, East, West, and Protestant until sure. I I would say probably the last three hundred years. But yeah, I I'm, I apologize for interrupting. Yeah, yeah, and we, and we have apocryphal writings that speak of of James as as the son from Joseph's first wife. That that uh, Joseph must have been widowed, and um and he had had children with her. In in which case he would have been a you know, a half-brother. Um, James, whatever his relationship, brother, half-brother, cousin, James uh, was not converted to Christianity until after the resurrection, and he became the bishop of Jerusalem. And we see in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that James was, uh, James got to witness the, the risen Lord uh, before the ascension, uh, and, and 1 Corinthians 15 is a, is a very important passage. So if, if you're not familiar with that, if that's, when I say 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't immediately kind of perk up, uh, you should go, you should pause this podcast and go read 1 Corinthians 15. It's a really interesting passage on, on the resurrection and kind of early, uh, some people point to that as, as an early creedal statement that, that Paul is reciting there. Um, later, we see James uh, dealing with Paul, uh, the apostle Paul in Jerusalem. Um, when Paul came there to meet with Peter and the disciples. And we have uh, this in uh, Acts chapter 15, the, the Council of Jerusalem, which I'm going to read in its entirety uh, in just a little bit here. And we see, uh, we see James, interestingly, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll share an anecdote, um, uh, a conversation I had with a, a very bright Baptist pastor who's a friend of mine, who one time said to me, he made a comment, and I didn't, uh, I, I wish I would have responded at the time. Uh, he said something, he said, of all the church votes we see in Acts, and I was just stopped. I was just stopped short. I was like, uh, I was like, I was, and I think I just studied Acts at, in depth. And I was like, in my mind, I was, I was just frozen thinking of like, I cannot find a single uh, vote. Like, there, was, there was no vote, uh, you know, in the whole book of Acts. And, and I would love to ask him like, where I am sure he would point to Acts 15, but it, as we read the plain text of it, there's no vote. Um, in fact, uh, we see testimony provided, and then we see James just kind of decide, like he right. issues the ruling, right. um, quite the opposite of, of, of a church vote. Right. Um, and I'll read that um, shortly. And, and 
And uh, we know a fair amount about, about James also from uh, Eusebius, who quotes heavily from a, a Roman historian called Hegesippus. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. What a great right. name. I, if you're not sure what to name your next son, I, I really Heg- recommend Hegesippus. that. <laughs> do, you, do you have a better guess as to how to say that? Hegesippus? No, I, that looks great to me. Yeah. Heg- Hegesippus. Um, he, he, so he, it is through him that, that we learn that James was known as James the Just. So he's known sometimes as, as James, the brother of Jesus, James of Jerusalem, James the just. Um, and uh, we were talking before we started recording about how it's hard sometimes to keep the James separate because Peter seemed to have kind of these circles um, yes. of like uh, he had the three, James, Peter, James, and John. And that's a different James. So that's James and John were the sons of thunder or the sons of, why am I not remembering Zebedee. the father's name? Zebedee. Zebedee. Yep. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. Um, and then P- Peter, James, and John's were like the three. He had the 12. Um, but we also see in Luke, he had the 300. Um, right. He had kind of these, uh, and when we see that his disciples, it's not always referring to the 12. Sometimes it's to these, to the 300 or our larger group. Um, a- anyway, um, it's hard to keep them straight, but, but uh, he was known as James the Just. And I love this quote that I'm going to read you. He was holy abstemious, which is a great word, which means he abstained from many things. He, he just lived a very, uh, very chaste uh, life, chaste and Spartan kind of life. Yeah. He did not cut his hair nor oil his body. You know, the anointing with oil is, is something we see, uh, but, but it was something that athletes would do. It was something that you do to kind of freshen and make yourself smell better and look better and look more healthy. It was, it was, not- it was, um, it was a, the, the very basic element of, um, self-care in the roman world at the roman baths you'd oil and then you'd take a a scraper and like scrape it off and then the like you'd, you'd kind of be like moisturized and smell pleasant and yeah anyhow continue yeah what's that what's the word we use for scraping the dead skin off now Ex- yeah exfoliating but it, they exfo- exfoliated okay it's called like a scruple or a scrimple or it had a, it had a name in the roman world anyhow continue uh, i don't know kirk you don't have any <laughs> scruples uh, <laughs> Uh, it said he was continually in pr- on his knees in prayer, interceding for his people. So he's known for this just life of devotion. Um, and uh, we, we know that, that many in Jerusalem came to believe uh, through James. And that was a particularly dangerous place to be an effective evangelist because Jews did not want people to know uh, Jesus as, as the Christ. And so this, uh, this, got him in trouble with, with the leading Jews in, in the area. And they begged him, and this is a quote from Hegesippus, uh, they begged James to restrain the people, for they have gone astray to Jesus, thinking him to be the Messiah. And they, 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 they asked James, they said, please, we bear you that you witness um, that you are, uh, we know that you are just, they said to him. Persuade the people that they not go astray. We put our trust in you. And they put him at the pinnacle of the temple, which is an interesting word to use here. The pinnacle of the temple. Uh, what do you think of when you hear that? The pinnacle of the Temptation temple. of our Lord. Temptation of our Lord, where Christ was brought yeah. to the pinnacle of the temple and uh, tempted by, by the devil. Uh, so they put him up there and they asked him to preach to the multitude and turn them from Jesus. And we're going to talk about, uh, we talked about, um, martyrs last week, and we're going to talk about Thomas Cranmer coming up and his martyrdom. Um, and James, instead of testifying against Jesus, he testified for the Lord <laughs> Jesus, and they hurled him from the pinnacle of the temple um, to the pavement. And if that, uh, just to make sure that they killed him, they they cudgeled him to death. Uh, do you want further comment before I read from, from Acts chapter 15? No, no, no. Read. Um, my only comments on James were, were in light of the Council of Jerusalem. So mm, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is just the very beginning of Jerusalem 15 that, that sets the foundation for like why this council came together. There's an interesting problem in the early church, like that we have Jewish Christians and we have Gentile Christians and, and um, there's an issue here. So Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation, I'm sorry, the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They declared all that God had done with them. So, so I mean, they're summing up this, this amazing conversion of Gentiles to worship of the living God. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we're in verse six right now. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So I'll just pause here to comment very briefly on the fact that, like, again, um, we don't want to draw divisions in Scripture where there are none, where here we have from the mouth of Peter, um, salvation by grace through faith, uh-huh. uh, yeah. which, which is sometimes attributed to Paul and, and as being a separate thing. Um, but, but we also see uh, a testimony to, to what the Lord is doing, and, to P- and Peter actually states his ministry that through his mouth, through Peter's mouth, the Gentiles should hear the gospel and believe. We are in verse 12 now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. He also acknowledges that um, just the, the weight of the law is too much to bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting thing? Yep. Okay, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So what we're doing is we're seeing testimony. Like, yep. so Peter spoke, yep. and now Barnabas and Paul. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, and that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentile, those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to the Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Should I read this? Or should we just say that a letter was sent? Well, we can say a letter was sent and it's, it's kind of a moderated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And if if you want to read the letter, uh, you you could turn to, uh, to Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 22. Yeah. Um, Christopher, any, uh, any, any thoughts before I briefly opine? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So the council of Jerusalem is, is in some ways a, um, a climax to the first, to the first half of, um, of Acts. Um, and we see after that, the action begins to pivot to, to Paul's travels, um, in the Greek world and ultimately kind of the, his, his inevitable arrival in Rome. Uh, but, um, what what happens here is interesting. So um, you have what was always going to be an inevitable conflict um, mm-hmm. yeah. as ministry begins happening with the Gentiles, um, which is you you have at first the majority of believers, the vast majority, maybe ninety five percent of of believers within the first few years are are all Jews. In fact, it's it's uncle- it's just it's just a Jewish set, sect. Um, and uh, and and however, we have this commissioning. Um, 
of uh, of ministry to the Gentiles, and um, and and this is where this is where things get things get difficult, um, because um, let's see here. I let me. I'm sorry. I, I had changed uh, pages and I and I lost my notes. Um, what the gathered council of apostles and teachers is considering um, is is some Judean Christians were teaching Gentile Christians in Antioch that they had to be circumcised or they couldn't be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we know from chapter 10, um, with the bapti- baptism of a powerful Roman soldier named Cornelius, that uncircumcised Gentiles had been baptized and had received the Holy Spirit. In chapter 11, we have Peter's vision from God um, uh, that, uh, that it take and eat, um, that he may eat all these animals and they are not unclean. What God has called clean, do not call unclean. Um, and so many Gentiles had come into the church because of the works of Paul and Barnabas. And in fact, Paul and Barnabas do testify to that. We see that in verse 12 here, right? Um, so in verse 5, we read, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, isn't that interesting? Party of the Pharisees, right? Yeah. How yeah, often Pharisees do we read in the Gospels? Christians. Yeah. Yeah. We read in the Gospels, we just learn to hear Pharisees equals baddies, right? Right. And it's not true. Something that I like to say sometimes to shock people is the Pharisees were the good guys. Mm. They were the ones who were trying to keep God's law, right? Yeah. We're trying yeah. to resurrect the old thing. Well, and let's remember so, that Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds <laughs> that of the Pharisees, he held yeah. them up as an example. <laughs> so, Even and, while, and he, also, while also criticizing them as whitewashed tombs, which I think comes in Matthew right, 23. Right, next right, right. I mean, I say that provocatively because obviously right, right. the Pharisees come in for a, a lot of criticism from our Lord. But so this proposal gets hotly debated, right? Um, that it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. That's the, that's the kind of matter on the table, right? Is it necessary to circumcise converted Gentiles in order to keep the law of Moses? Um, and both sides have must, much to say. Uh, the Jews, the Pharisees are probably saying, do this and you shall live just as God promised in Leviticus. We're messing with holy things if we suddenly throw all that away, right? Can you picture now, the let Pharisees us, let saying us, that? Let us yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your point. Yeah, I could see the Pharisees. Yeah, but that's like, probably what I would have said. Like, who are we to mess with this which, with this which was delivered to us? However, let us not minimize the significance of circumcision. Kirk, yes. would you, how would you like your pastor to do surgery uh, <laughs> on, on your uh, sexual anatomy apart from anesthesia? Uh, I would be highly resistant to that, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, if, if, if at all, like you could avoid that, you, so, would, you would do so. So Peter, who um, pr- sometimes probably errs on the, the, maybe the Jewish side of things. Remember, Paul rebukes him for putting on his Jewish hat when he's hanging out with his Jewish brethren, right? Mm-hmm. Like pretending not to eat meat and stuff like that, right? When he's hanging out with Jews. Peter says... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Mm. Um, and then, uh, so the council falls silent, and then Paul and Barnabas speak up, and then we get to James. Um, and this so, is so this circum- is- circ- Kirk. I would say circumcision is is not just a painful procedure, but it's it's a shorthand for the whole law. Yep, I'm yes. saying like requiring circumcision is saying. Follow all 613 commandments. It's, it's, it's a way of saying I'm all in. Yeah. I'm a Jew now. I'm, I, I'm being grafted well, in with, also with not blood. Minimizing, well, also not minimizing the painful, painful like, that, that was uh, an issue. Like, we had, right. like, God-fearers who, like, believed in God but weren't <laughs> quite, as adults, willing to go through circumcision for full conversion into the Jewish community. Um, right. So, yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it's – and, and – Keep sticking with our theme of, of James and honoring uh, St. James uh, tomorrow on Friday. Um, it's notable that he gets the final say. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, the tradition that he is Bishop of Jerusalem is obviously borne out by this, right? Listen, Peter and Paul, yeah. who Christopher, yeah. you and I grew up as like good Protestant boys, like Peter and Paul, though, like those are the, the, you know, the, the sun and the moon in our, yeah. Yeah. In, in, in our heavens um, when it comes to the New Testament, right? But who gets the last say? The bishop. The bishop, right? In the end, we are people of hierarchy and authority. And so once, once there's been um, kind of a hearing of uh, the various um, ministers and priests, um, the bishops, um, we, everyone else falls silent. 
and the bishop speaks. And I love that he flashes a, a Jewish gang sign um, because he's about to deliver a hard word to the Jews, right? So he calls Peter, not Petros. He, what does he call him? Simeon, his, Peter, his Hebrew name. Not even Simon, right? We get, we get Simeon, his full Hebrew name, right? Um, and then he notes that God has visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name by quoting from the prophet Amos. Um, and, uh, and he says, what's he saying? He says, the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised nor follow the law of Moses given by God at Mount Sinai as laid out in Leviticus. Instead, James judges that the Gentile believers should do something more moderate. So in other words, James is, James is acknowledging the eternal moral character of, of God. God's moral character does not change. It was and is and ever shall be. The God that delivered the law in Sinai is the God that Christians are honoring in first century Jerusalem. So what does this same God um, ask of Gentile believers? Just four things. Don't eat anything that's been sacrificed to an idol. Don't eat or drink blood. And that's a whole other thing. But um, <laughs> don't eat animals that have been strangled and abstain from sexual immorality. All right. And that, isn't that reminiscent of, as we've been going through Matthew, Christopher, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> Jesus gave those words in, in light of like this burden is too hard to bear. Right. And, um, and I, you know, I know you just quoted uh, uh, Robert Farrah Capon, who, who said, let us not minimize God's law. And, and I don't think that's what James is doing. He's not no. minimizing God's law at all. I think no. he's rather distilling the, the, um, the, the claims that God's law have on his people. Wouldn't you say that's more what's happening? It's a distillation, not a minimization? Right, right. Because, uh, like I said, the hardest thing is to love God and love your neighbor. Right. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, and to, to, to heap on that, the entire Mosaic law, um, what a burden. If, if, but like if, if we are clarified to love God and love our neighbor um, in, in kind of like these four things in observance of, of kind of, uh, it's helpful. Yeah. What, so I, uh, I preached on this in August of 2016. And I'm looking now back at my notes, and uh, I, th I think maybe this is kind of my thought that I want to end with, um, especially to us as American Christians. Uh, it's clear that the Bible has a created order. It has a hierarchy. We are to submit to God, our creator, and then in turn, we have dominion or responsibility to tend creation, and creation submits to our tending. Men and women are to submit to each other in Christian marriage. Children are to honor and submit to their parents. And within the church, we are to submit um, to our elders, as the church did in Acts 15, uh, did submit to the judgment of God's ordained clergy. And in this point, in, and in that instance, it was James, the bishop of Jerusalem. And it's hard, especially for us, I think, as American Christians, Christopher, because pop culture mostly portrays clergy as corrupt, stupid, or wicked. Um, and it is grievous to the body of Christ when clergy do abuse their authority. But mm -hmm. as we see with James' actions, the marks of true Christian authority are wisdom and mercy. And yeah. honestly, I would say most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, when we're asked to submit to difficult teachings or decisions or verdicts um, in our churches, uh, if, if we're honest, um, we'll, we... I think we have to acknowledge that the motives of, of our bishops are usually wisdom and mercy. They're praying for those things from God. And um, I think more um, wickedness and unintended conse consequences ripple through the church when we buck under that yoke of the bishop's authority than rip ripple through the church when corrupt or wicked bishops render judgment. Yeah, yeah. You hear what I'm saying? So absolutely, I think yeah. there's more wickedness from our disobedience as laity absolutely. than from yeah. corrupt and wicked clergy. Let us not use the 1% of the times <laughs> yes. that, that priests or bishops are, are, are sinful in, um, in, in abusing their authority um, to justify uh, not sub submitting to their authority the 99% of the time, right? Yeah, uh, like yeah. There, there does come a time when when um, when 
they're human and and they're sinful and they and they abuse their authority but that doesn't mean that that um that we don't uh, that doesn't nullify the the 99% of the time that that they are are um just and in the right yeah. yeah so that's my final thought any final thoughts from you before we end in prayer no all right let's end in prayer The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things, both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grant, O God, that the following the example of your servant, James the Just, brother of our Lord, your church may give itself continually to prayer and to the reconciliation of all who are at variance and enmity. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and danger of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Talk next week, Kirk. Next week, Christopher. Amen.